Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's message from Lead Pastor Neil Krause is from the series, Rooted. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Amen. Not sure what's going on there, but... uh... (laughs) Hopefully we'll get that, that figured out. It uh, wasn't even moving, so I don't think it was anything on the mic up here. We're good back there? All right, we'll just keep going. All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn in them to the New Testament book of John. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning, and we're continuing in our series titled Rooted as we look at several thing, things that it's important for us to be rooted in for our spiritual lives to flourish. This series, um, we have learned about fruitfulness that we desire in our lives comes when we're rooted in the right things. We're rooted in the things that God calls us to be rooted in. The first week we learned that it's so important for us to be rooted in God's word, to be rooted in the Bible, to have our roots sunk down deep and to know and to to believe and to receive from his word. Then we learned that it's important to be rooted in worshiping God and making disciples in the mission that God had has for us. If we're not rooted in the proper things, then, then we're not going to grow the right fruit that he desires for us to have. Last week, Blake preached a great sermon on being rooted in serving one another and how important that is in his church for us to to grow the fruit that that God desires for us. And today we're going to learn that it's vitally important to be rooted in a proper understanding of what it means to be spiritually mature, a proper understanding of what it means to really follow Jesus. So we're going to dive into John chapter 3 verses 1 through 21 today. So if you would please stand with me, we're going to read from God's holy word. And we stand because we believe that this is God's holy word, that this is the authority for everything that we teach and preach and how we live our lives. So we stand out of respect and honor for for God. Here's what John 3, starting in verse 1, says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment the light has come into the world, 
and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. You can be seated. Now, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Right? Now, there are two things we need to understand right off the bat as we learn about Nicodemus and being a Pharisee. And, and um, the Pharisees, they set policy not only for the Jews in Jerusalem, but for all the Jews throughout the world. So these were men that took basically a blood oath. Um, they took a covenant in front of a couple of others that they would spend their entire lives basically following the Ten Commandments. If you boil it down, they were saying, we're going to live our lives by the letter of the law. We're going to give everything with all that we are, all that I am. I'm going to follow the letter of the law. And when you get very legalistic like that and think, I'm going to, by my works, by my strength, by my power, by my might, I'm going to make sure that I don't break any of the laws, what happens is something like this. We tend to add a whole bunch of other laws in order to make sure we don't break those 10 laws. So this is a book of the oral laws that the Jewish people had. This is called the Mishnah. And in this book, it is page after page after page of laws that the Pharisees put in place that they would have their scribes put down on paper. It was oral law of things that they had to follow to make sure that they would not break the Ten Commandments. So you've got Nicodemus, and he's this man that is a Pharisee. He's a leader of the Jewish people, and he is doing everything he can to follow every single law that's in this book, the Mishnah, and he is trying to make sure that he's not breaking the Ten Commandments commandments. So this, this book, the Mishnah, it is basically one of the two holy books that the Jewish people follow. So the Pharisees are very committed to following the letter of the law. And when you get very legalistic like that, then you begin to put other laws in place to make sure you don't break the main laws that you're trying to keep. So I want to share with you a little bit of what happens when we try to gain holiness by following laws. You see, whenever we try to say, I'm going to be holy and righteous, and I'm going to be um, like God wants me to live by following all these laws, we put other laws in place, and, and it begins to stack a bunch of laws up that we just can't keep. And, and I'm not trying to disrespect the Jewish culture or customs because this is a beautiful book and their, their religious practices are beautiful because they are trying out of um, a, a proper heart, they're trying to follow what God has called them to do. So what I want to do, though, is I want to look at a couple of things in here. and I'm going to explain a few of them. Now, um, there's page after page after page of talking about the Sabbath and how we want to keep the Sabbath holy, right? And we want to make sure that we rest on the Sabbath, that we're not working on the Sabbath. So they put a bunch of laws in place to make sure that they would not work on the Sabbath. So it starts out as a holy endeavor. It starts out with good intentions, but it ends up leading to this exhausting life of legalism. So um, I'm not pointing out anything other than what Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus here in just a minute uh, about all these laws that he's trying to, to follow because they become impossible. So on the Sabbath, um, it basically talks about even tying knots. You couldn't tie a knot on the Sabbath because they thought, well, that might constitute work. So they even labeled it. And in here it says that you cannot tie a camel driver's knot. You cannot tie a sailor's knot. And those were, I guess, pretty intricate knots that you wanted to make sure it was, it was work to do it. So you couldn't tie those two knots. However, you also could not untie those knots on the Sabbath or it would be deemed work. 
But they put a law into place that if you could untie it with one hand, then it's not work. You see what begins to happen when we put laws in place and rules in place to try to make sure that we're doing the right thing? Because if we really think about that, have you ever tried to untie your shoe with one hand? It's more work than if you use two hands. But yet they had gotten so wrapped up in trying to figure out what's work and what's not work that they, they made a law that to untying the knot with one hand, it's not work anymore. But yet it was actually more work than what it would be if you used two hands. Now, they had another law uh, involving spitting. Um, there's just a ton of these in here. The, you know, they even had laws on spitting and, and when and where and, and, and what spit would be clean and what spit would be unclean. And, and um, it, it tends to just really um, go um, to, to, to this. Here, here's the rules involving spit. All drops of spit which are found in Jerusalem are assumed to be clean. So you don't have to worry about those that are in Jerusalem because those people there are righteous and their spit is clean, right? Now, and then it said, but except for those found in the upper marketplace. Now, why is that? It's because a lot of people might have been in the marketplace. There might be unclean people in the marketplace, so you've got to worry about the spit there. During the times of the festival, when there would be a lot of people coming and going, the drops of spit found in the road are deemed clean. The drops of spit on the side of the road are found unclean, and they explain why. Right here it says, because at festival time, they who are unclean are fewer in number, and they withdraw to the side of the road. So you see how when we begin to put rules in place of rules to, to try to make sure that we're not breaking the rules, then it becomes this exhausting list of things that we've got to try to keep up with and we've got to try to, to do and to, to, um, to accomplish, so to speak. So you've got Nicodemus and this is his mindset. He's been trying to follow all the rules. He's trying to be as holy as he can be. He's trying to do everything he can to make sure that he is holy. He's not untying his sandals on the Sabbath. He's not tying them or untying them. He's not walking along the side of the road on the Sabbath because he wants to make sure he stays out of the unholy spit that might be on the side of the road. So these are the things that, that he's doing, and he's trying with all his might to be righteous and to be um, pleasing in the sight of God. So that's what the Pharisees were looking like. That's what they were doing. That's how they were living their lives. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that that's what Nicodemus is coming from. So he also knew that the Pharisees as a whole didn't like Jesus. So Nicodemus then comes to Jesus in the dark of night. And, and, he, and he, he comes to him and he's like, hey, I've been following all these oral rules. Now would you teach me? So with that in mind of him knowing that the, the Pharisees didn't like him, look at verse 2. It says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus believes that Jesus is from God. And, and the Pharisees, they thought a life pleasing to God was basically good teaching and obedience to that teaching. So he thinks he's a teacher from God. So he's going to him and he's saying, teach me. He's saying, Jesus, I've been trying to follow all the rules. I've been doing everything I can, but I want to learn more. You're from God, clearly, so teach me what else I need to do. Because if you'll teach me, Rabbi, and the word Rabbi means teacher, if you'll teach me, I'll do what you teach me to do. So according to his thinking, according to his background, complete obedience is what would get him right standing with God. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? There are many of us today and throughout our life that we've probably thought at some point in our life, if I can just be good enough, I can just follow the rules, if I can live a moral life, if I can do these things that I need to do, then I will be good enough to be righteous. Or on the flip side of that, we, we live a life thinking, I haven't been good enough. 
I haven't been able to live up to the laws and the, and the rules and the, the moral code of Christianity. Therefore, I'm a failure. So we can get into one of those two camps. Either we can get into the thinking that, well, I'm good enough. I'm better than that person. I haven't done the things that they've done. Therefore, I should be good with God if he weighs on a scale like that. Or others of us think, I've blown it. I've messed up so bad. I haven't been able to follow the rules. There's no chance for me. But Jesus, knowing what Nicodemus is thinking here, he gives him a response that, that Nicodemus did not expect to come. In verse 3, he says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's what just happened. This man who's in the scriptures all the time, this man who is trying his best to follow the Ten Commandments, he's trying his best to follow all of the oral laws that the Jewish people have that we see in the Mishnah. He's trying to follow all these things. This man who's, who's really working hard, doing everything he can to, to follow God and be righteous in God's eyes, he hears Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So for Nicodemus, this had to be a game changer. He's thinking, all right, how do I get born again? What do I do? How do I do that? Because Jesus says, he, he's saying here, though, that knowing and pleasing God is not about doing, it's about being. So he's, he's flipping everything that Nicodemus knows upside down. He's saying it's not about doing all these things. It's about being. And in one sentence, Jesus removes all the work, removes all the pride, removes all the ability that Nicodemus believes has caused him to be blameless in the sight of God. And he says, Nicodemus, it's not about doing, it's about being. Well, being what? Being born again. This phrase seems impossible to Nicodemus. So he asks him another question in verse 4, and he says, how can a man be born when he is old? How does, how does this happen? How is this going to happen? I want to do it, but how do I do it? He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus, he doesn't understand, and he thinks that Jesus is being literal here, and he's thinking, how do I literally be born again? And of course, that's not possible for us to climb back into our mother's womb and literally be born again. So Jesus begins to explain a little bit more. Verses 5 through 6, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Okay, so we know that we're born of the flesh. When we're born of the flesh, we are in the flesh. Our flesh desires things of the flesh, which means we are prone to sin. We are born of the sin nature, we're born in the flesh, and, and therefore we are fleshly beings. When we live in the flesh, we desire the things of the flesh. And when we live in the power of the flesh, we may try to follow the rules. We may try to be as moral as possible. We may try to follow according to God's law, but we still fall short because we have this thing called sin. So Jesus says we need a new birth. He says you need to be born again. You need to be born into the spirit so that we can live according to the spirit. You see, we cannot expect to do supernatural things like live righteously before God without the supernatural power of his Holy Spirit. Yet so often we do that, don't we? We think, well, I can work hard enough. I can follow the rules. I'll just study a little harder. I'll just put, I'll put things in place so that I don't fall into that sin. And we try in the flesh to be good enough and to be righteous enough. And he's saying, you've got to have the supernatural power of the Spirit inside of you. You've got to be born again before you can truly be righteous before God. So he says you have to be born of the water and the spirit. So what does that mean? 
What does it mean to be born, born of the water and the Spirit? Now, some think that Jesus is talking about baptism here, being born of the water. And it's true that we need to be baptized when we place our faith in Jesus, just like Jesus was baptized. But I don't think that's what he's teaching in this context. You see, it's important when we place our faith in Jesus to follow that up with a profession of baptism. Scripture is very clear about that, that when we place our faith in Jesus, we're saved by his Holy Spirit. And then he says, you follow that in believer's baptism, to be immersed in baptism, saying, with my life, life, I'm following the example of Jesus. As you stand in the water, you're following the life of Jesus. As you are immersed under the water, you're following the death and burial of Jesus. And as you come up out of the water, you are symbolizing your resurrection into new life in Jesus. So baptism is extremely important. And if you've never been baptized, I hope that you would, you would decide today that that's something you need to do. If you want to do that, fill out a connect card, talk to me afterwards, see a starting point guide afterwards, because baptism is so important to a believer, but that's not really what Jesus is teaching here. What he's saying right here, what he's talking about in the context of this verse, is he's talking about the importance of cleansing. You see, when water is used figuratively in those times, along with the Spirit of God, it refers to a spiritual cleansing. So he's talking about the need to be spiritually cleansed. And the word of God is referenced over and over throughout scripture, throughout the Bible, as being living water. So it is the word of God and the spirit of God that cleanses us and makes us new. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he needed a spiritual cleansing. And he's saying that comes only from the Holy Spirit and it comes through the word of God. He's telling Nicodemus, you need to sink your roots down deep into the word of God and let the spirit cleanse you from the inside out. You see, something supernatural begins to happen when we hear the word of God, when we're rooted in the word of God, when we are sinking our roots down deep into God's word and allowing it to change us from the inside out. Something supernatural happens as God cleanses our hearts. He changes our desires from the inside out, not the outside in, not from our things that we're trying to do and we can't explain it we can't explain it but the more we're in his word the more we hear his word the more we meditate on his word the more it changes our hearts and changes our behaviors from the inside out and jesus explains it like this in verses seven through eight do not marvel that i said to you you must be born again the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit Here's what I picture in my mind in these verses right here. I think they're beautiful, and I, I, I picture it like this. I think Nicodemus and Jesus, because Nicodemus came to Jesus in the dark of night. I think Jesus was outside, probably in a garden praying. That's where we find him a lot. And I think they're outside in the night air, in the dark, as they're having this conversation, and Nicodemus just doesn't understand. He's just not putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And all of a sudden, I think the wind blows through the garden, and they can hear it rustling the leaves in the trees. I think they can feel it blowing their hair. They can feel the wind on their skin and it's blowing their clothing and i think jesus just says hey it's like that no one no one can explain where that wind just came from and you can't see really where it's going you don't know where it went after it came by you but there's evidence of the wind there he's saying the same is true of those who are born of the spirit you can't really explain it but when you're in god's word allowing god's word to transform you and to to speak to your heart then the holy spirit comes in like a wind and it just has an effect on you He's saying you can't explain it. You don't know exactly where it's going, but you know that something is happening. And Nicodemus still can't wrap his mind around this. So he asked in verse nine, how can these things be? 
He's trying to figure it out. How can these things be? He's always thought he had to rely on his own strength, had to rely on his own good morals and his ability to follow the rules. So he was just looking for more rules from Jesus. And Jesus tells him, stop, stop living in the flesh. And you start living in the spirit, allow the, the, allow the wind of the spirit to impact you and allow, allow yourself to feel what the spirit's doing in you through the word. And this is a hard thing for, for us to do as rule followers. It was a hard thing for Nicodemus to grasp, and it's a hard thing for us to grasp because we're rule followers, right? We, we try to think that, okay, well, if, I, if I put all these things in place and I follow the rules, then surely I'm, I'm living the kind of life that God wants me to live. And, and when we're rule followers, what, what's the reality is we think we have control. When we're trying to follow all the rules and do all the right things, then we believe that I have control over my life. And, and certainly, whenever we let go and trust in the Spirit, we're kind of letting go of some control there. And there are, are definitely good grounds biblically for following the rules and having guidelines. I'm not saying we shouldn't follow the rules. There are biblical guidelines for that, using good judgment and, and following God's law. Those things are all important, and they're biblically supported. But Jesus is saying our righteousness, it does not come from those things. Our righteousness comes from the Holy Spirit blowing into our life through the teaching of God's word. And when we believe in Jesus and we accept Jesus and we receive his Holy Spirit into our life, and then we begin to obey Jesus out of the power of his Holy Spirit, then we begin to have the power and the ability to follow his rules out of a response to what he has done in us and is supernaturally doing through us. So following the rules, obedience to God is a result of the word of God changing us from the inside out. Jesus continues in verses 10 through 12, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus basically says, listen, Nicodemus, you're not getting this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you another way. And he says, how do we please God? Well, well, let me explain it to you another way. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus is claiming right here that he stepped down from heaven. He's letting Nicodemus know, I'm God. I've sat by God. I'm, I've been with God, and I am God. And I descended from heaven, and I'm going to ascend back there. I am the Son of Man. And when he ascends back to heaven, he will be with God. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I know what I'm talking about here. So then he has authority to speak on these matters. Therefore, in verses 14 through 15, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Nicodemus would have been familiar with this story from the Old Testament, which we find in the book of Numbers, where Moses held up a staff with a serpent on the end of it to heal people. And this is a situation where the people were speaking against God, the people were sinning against God, they were rebelling against God. So in the Bible, it says that God sent fiery serpents to bite the people and kill them. Crazy, I know, right? But they had rebelled against him. They were turning against him. So God's like, I've had enough. Fiery serpents are coming. And the fiery serpents come. They're biting people. They're dying left and right. So the people start to see that, wow, we've sinned against God. We've rebelled against God. And this is, this is our payment for that. We're, we're dying because of that. So they cry out to God. They repent. And they, they say, God, forgive us of our sin against you. We're, we realize that we were wrong. So God tells Moses, take an image create it of a serpent, put it on the end of a pole, and when you hold that pole up and people look upon it and they believe in me, they will be healed. And the Bible says that the people that looked on that serpent on the pole were healed. 
those who looked upon that. So Jesus is now referencing that Old Testament story, which Nicodemus would have understood, and he's foreshadowing to Nicodemus that he is going to be lifted up and that he is going to be the one that everyone will look upon so that they will be spiritually healed. You see what he's talking about? He's talking about the cross. He's letting him know the Son of Man is going to die for your sins. The Son of Man is going to be held up so that all who look upon the Son of Man can be spiritually healed from the fiery serpent's bite. Because what you and I have to realize is that in our flesh, we've all been bitten by the serpent, the serpent known as Satan. You see how the Old Testament verses are pointing to the New Testament and pointing to our need for healing? Every single one of us in our flesh has been bitten with a venomous bite from Satan. And we are doomed to death. But God has sent his son Jesus to be lifted up on the cross so that when we look on him and we believe in him, we will be spiritually healed. So you see, Satan has lured us into sin, but we have a way to be cleansed by the power of his word and the power of his Holy Spirit. We can supernaturally be cleansed by looking upon Jesus. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, these statements would have been wrecking Nicodemus because all his life he was working on following the rules, trying to be as righteous as he could be, trying to, to lead everyone else to follow the rules and, and look good before God. He knew the scriptures. He'd been following the scriptures. And Jesus was making the scriptures now come to life with his words and his life. That the water of the word was now cleansing Nicodemus. Next is a verse that we're all familiar with, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Very simple. When you repent of your sin and you cry out to God and you look upon his son who was held up on that cross, he offers you a way to be spiritually healed. You see, God lifted his son up so that all you have to do is look upon him and believe and you'll be spiritually healed and you have eternal life. And here's why we need that. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. It's a fantastic verse to root ourselves in. The truth is that Jesus came to save us, not condemn us. So guess what the enemy of our souls, the serpent, the snake, tries to make us believe? He tries to make us believe we're condemned. Right? He tries to have us walk in lives of condemnation. The father of lies, Satan, tries to continually make you believe that you're condemned for your sin. But the truth of God's word says that God sent Jesus not to condemn you, but he sent him to save you from condemnation. You see, without God sending Jesus, you and I are condemned because we've been bitten by this snake. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God when we do not believe in Jesus we're condemned by our sins when we do believe in Jesus we're saved and when we get rooted in that truth we begin to understand and to live by that truth then we begin to recognize and live by Romans 8 1 that says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that's a verse we have to remind ourselves of all the time because the enemy wants to remind you of what you've done in the past. The enemy wants to remind you of things that have tripped you up. The enemy wants to remind you you've been bitten and that you have sinned. 
and that you fall short of God's glory. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus was raised up so that you could look upon him and you could be healed. And when we're rooted in that truth, it changes our life. It's a beautiful place to be. It's a beautiful way to live. However, we tend to live in the darkness instead of the light of the gospel. Verses 19 through 20, he continues, says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And I think a reality that, that most of us have lived is this, that we sin against God and we know that we've sinned. We fall short, we fall into some temptation, and, and we stumble and we sin. And when we get caught up in a sinful pattern, what do we do? We go try to hide in the dark. We don't want to be around the light because it exposes our sin and it makes us feel guilty and we feel condemned. Again, the enemy sending lies to us, the viper trying to bite us and say, you know, you're condemned. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll withdraw from reading the Bible. Ever been there? Ever been in a sinful pattern and we, and we stop reading the Bible because we don't really want to feel that condemnation? We don't want to feel that, that we need to change the sinful pattern that we're in. We stop praying. We don't pray to God because we feel distant from Him. We feel like He's distant when He's right there, but it's us. We've pulled away. And we stop going to church on a regular basis. We don't want to be around the light. We leave our small group because we're, we're afraid that people in that group will, will learn that we've been caught up in this sin. You see, sin, darkness, hates the light. And therefore, we try to hide in the dark. But if you get rooted in this text and in the gospel and you trust God at his word, then you will know that the best thing any of us can do whenever we get tripped up in a sin is to look upon the light, to look to the cross, to look to Jesus who hung on the cross for our sin. He hung there to cleanse us from that sin. And he's saying that we need cleansing and that cleansing is available when we look upon Jesus, when we run to the light, and when we run to the light, our sin gets exposed, and we repent of that sin, and we can walk in freedom from that sin, and that's the beauty of the gospel. When you begin to live in the light, it's no longer out of your own strength, but it's by the strength of the Spirit. So remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus has been completely living out of his own strength, living out of his own power, trying his best to live according to the law. And our final verse in this text is verse 21. He says, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I would circle those words, in God. That's so important. His works, the fruit of his life, is being carried out in God. If you desire to do good works and you desire to do what is true, it can only be carried out in God. When we try those things outside of God, they fall far short, and we need cleansing. We need the light of God to shine upon our lives and to cleanse us from the inside out by the power of His Holy Spirit through the power of His Word. When we are rooted in the light of God, our good works become pleasing to God. In John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I want everyone in this room today to know that God is drawing you to his light. Whatever you've done in the darkness can be forgiven. Whatever sin you've been caught up in, whatever darkness hangs over you, it can be removed by the light of Jesus, by looking upon the cross, believing in Jesus, and being cleansed of your sin. You see, Nicodemus, he sought out Jesus in the dark of night. And Jesus... He shined his light 
of his life into the life of Nicodemus. And later, we see Nicodemus at the burial of Jesus. Nicodemus is one who showed up with, with Joseph who bought the tomb to, to put Jesus in. And he showed up and he brought myrrh and aloes to anoint his body for burial. So evidently Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus because he risked his life as a Pharisee, as a leader of the Pharisees, to come and to anoint the body of Jesus and to help to bury him. You see, I pray today that no one in this room will remain in the dark. I pray that none of us today will, will walk out of here remaining in the dark. Because no matter how dark the night is that you're facing... I pray that you will be drawn to the light of Jesus. When you look upon him, you are cleansed. And there is no condemnation for you when you look upon Jesus who was lifted up for your healing. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your grace and your mercy. And God, every single one of us in this room, we felt that condemnation before. We felt guilty. We felt broken. We felt like we're just in the dark and, and we feel ashamed of that and we want to hide from that. And God, we come to church with masks on and we want to make everything look like it's great, but deep down inside, some of us are struggling with sin. Some of us are struggling with darkness in our life. And God, I pray that today, by the power of your word, the water of your word, Lord, that it would have washed us clean because we would recognize that all we have to do is look upon the cross where Jesus was lifted up for our healing and for our cleansing. May we look upon Jesus this morning and be cleansed, Lord. May we walk out of here in the light as you are the light. We pray all these things, Lord, as we open up the altar, that, that many would come forward and just bow before you and just say, God, I repent of my sinfulness and I look upon the cross of Jesus this morning. Pray that you bring healing and you bring cleansing. Some of us need to come and just bow and worship you and thank you for the ways that you have cleansed our lives. We love you, God. You're a good father who loves us and has poured out your grace for us and you desire to be our Father that will wrap your arms around us and love us and lead us into that light. So we give this time to you in Jesus' mighty name. been listening to the Forward Charge Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as Lead Pastor Neil Krauss continues in the series, Rooted. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.